Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Rules to our Great Lakes Guitar Pickup Giveaway. In cooperation with Great Lakes Guitar Pickups, we've got free pickups to give away. Jim and I will be demoing the pickups as long as our promotion goes on for it, and it's supposed to last for an entire year. Make sure you're watching and sharing the videos with interested friends. I mean, who couldn't use a set of killer guitar pickups, right? So here's how it's going to work. First, on February 11th, a special word will be posted on Great Lakes Guitar Pickups' Facebook page. A second word or phrase will be placed randomly within the episode of the Practical Guitarist podcast that is released on February 11th. Combine both of these words and send us an email with them. All who respond with both words will be entered into the drawing. Also, once you win, don't bother entering again, as you will not be eligible going forward. Make sure you tell your friends. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. I heard you were at a Super Bowl party this evening. I was. Did you and, eat a lot of garbage food, lots of grease? Um, uh, no. Uh, so I had two pieces of pizza and um, six wings, and I still feel like I'm bloated. I had Wendy's this afternoon. Uh, I did not watch the Super Bowl. Could have cared less. I do have one thing I want to discuss. We were talking about your notes before this episode began, and I think I think it would be remiss if I did not uh, bring this up at the at the start of the episode. Uh oh. So go ahead and bring it up now. I was having a conversation with. Um, and it was it was not in the group or anything, but it was with Jeff uh, Biesiadecki, uh, okay, who works over at Good Time Music on uh, Facebook, and he was saying like, uh, he posted some meme about the halftime show, and like how bad Maroon Five was or whatever. Um, and okay. I've seen I've seen mixed. I reviews. want to talk about that. I've seen okay, mixed reviews, but yep. but I commented and I said I don't really I make I go out of my way not to watch the game, and. Yep. Um, I said I actually spent a lot, a good chunk of my afternoon playing uh, Megadeth and Living Color songs, and um, it was it was kind of funny because I was looking at the. Uh, he commented back, and then he says, uh, "He says I don't understand how they're so popular." And I was like, "Wait a minute, is he talking about Maroon Five or or or, um, uh, or is he talking about you know Megadeth and, and Living Color?" And then he goes back, <laughs> and he says, "No, Maroon Five. And I responded, and, and I thought my response was funny, but I think it's very telling, and I think it's something we could probably discuss at the top of the show. But my but. Of course, I'm going to think my own jokes are funny, right? It's like my, my yeah. shit smells like roses and all that of stuff. Um, uh, there, there was an outcast song about that. Roses smell like poo 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 or whatever. Yep. Anyway, um, they, they probably do. Uh, so um, anyway, my comment to him was that the reason that Burn 5 is so popular is because they write songs that you can hum and you can memorize within like 30 seconds. And then they, they it's like they, you know, you heard them your whole life. And then yep. they, they, the the lyrical material, the actual like song that goes along with it, that portion of the song, since it's not a piece of music, it's a song, so it has vocals. Um, yep, is more like it, it, it's cookie cutter. It's less controversial. They sing about things that everyone loves, like many pop tunes. They sing about love and those kinds of things. And Are you talking about Maroon Five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see them singing about you know um, something controversial like. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to no. throw this out there and I, I know Think that they would Maroon. never sing about, no, they would never sing about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And it's like, I'd never seen Maroon 5 come out with a song. Uh, 
going against the Me Too movement or, you know, something like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> or, right, taking a controversial side of things. And, would, anything. Like, they, you know, Maroon 5 is not going to come out and support a President Trump, for example. Like, no. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. They're going to play it safe. And they're exactly. gonna, not going to, and they're not going to talk about any of those topics in their music because they want to have universal appeal. So I watched the Super Bowl today, and um, there were two things that were obvious. First, the rappers were lip syncing all the way through, and they did such a bad job that they made sure that they held the mics like this. So oh yeah, they were covering the microphones. Well, when you've got two of the same voice coming out in two distinct, like you know, like like two takes of the same voice. It's, it's obvious that it wasn't like a chorus effect or something like that. And, um, they got to double that shit. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It would have been the greatest job of bad doubling by a computer I've ever seen, which, which goes along with the commercials, but Hey, we're not, we're not a super bowl commercial podcast. Cause the TurboTax commercials were just, oh my God. you're not a real boy. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, wouldn't uh, yeah. <laughs> Too long, um, didn't read. <laughs> I know, right? And so uh the um the thing that I'm getting at is though, Maroon 5 was obviously playing live, and he was at least at the very least singing live. Now, um, while it's a possibility that they choreographed the music, I don't think so. It's possible, but I just don't think so. Because if if they did, they could have just left him without a guitar and he didn't have to play a solo because Somebody else could have mined it for him. Um, but you could see where his fingers were and you could see he was moving and it, and it was good. And you could tell that he was like, you know, out of breath. Like every song was like, oh, whoo, and then going back to it and doing his thing. And, and, and it was there. I, so love Maroon 5, hate Maroon 5, piss on Maroon 5, all you want. But um, I'm going to give them the props, the fact that they did a live show at the, at the uh, Super Bowl. So. Well, I know Robert Jackson was commenting that, you know, he was kind of impressed because uh, I guess uh, Levin was actually playing guitar. Yes. And was like actually playing guitar. Yeah. Um, but for me, like gold standard of Super Bowl shows is probably Prince even now. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you that. Killed it. I'm just saying that, that if you're going to slam on a pop act um, on their Super Bowl show, slam on the ones that were lip syncing, slam on the ones that, that, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was, they just shit all over the fans with that. Yeah. They didn't even try. So, you know. Right. I mean, I, lo- I loved, um, in the last couple of Super Bowls, the ones that I actually have watched on YouTube later, because I don't watch the game. Yeah. Uh, I think I've watched one Super Bowl in my entire life. Anyway, um, I watched the Tom Petty one, which is really good. Yep. And that then, was a great one. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Prince one. Those are the two. That the Michael Jackson one. I mean, Michael Jackson, of course, everybody's seen that one, but. That, that was the, the Janet Jackson. No, I'm kidding. I, I actually have not watched the Janet Jackson one. So. I was. I was watching it with my kid. No, I'm sure you were li- watching it live, and then it happened, and you're like, <gasps> "No, I went." His yeah. eyes, like, <laughs> yeah, my kid. I think I think Stephen uh, was four. I think the twins were four, and because um, I, I think well, I want to say it was 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. That's when they had the eight second thing, because um, you could tell that they didn't bother to um, uh, take the lyrics that the rapper. The first rapper came out yeah. with and take the um, uh, the swear words out. So yeah. they had to, they blanked his, they blanked the whole thing. They just bleeped the whole thing. Well, and just, of course they got an eight second delay now. So they got all kinds of time. To you know, that. you know what I hate about the Super Bowl halftime show? And I'm going to say this and then I want everybody to take it to heart. 
and and yell at me in the group. Um, why the fuck if you if you're pro- playing like okay, so let's say let's say Prince gets the Super Bowl. He's obviously dead. He can't. But if he gets the Super Bowl halftime show, I don't want to see Prince and twenty four other fucking people. Right? I want to see Prince's band. That's right. it. I don't need right. to see Tom Petty have like you know Billy Corgan for Smashing Pumpkins come out and do half the song. Like what the yeah. fuck? And then you're telling me like Maroon Five performs. They got rappers coming out who guessed it on the album or whatever. Like fuck that. I don't. They, I didn't pay to see that. I think it's because it was local Atlanta talent. Somebody told me it was local Atlanta talent that they put up there. So it was two local Atlanta rappers that they they had up there. They weren't any good, but that's fine. So, anyway. whatever. Um, I'll just give Maroon Five props for doing it live. Whether you know, yeah. I mean, I, and the way I could tell because. He was not quite in tune in the beginning. He well, didn't quite and, and it, honestly, to, I mean, they would be the band that I figured would not want to do it live. Like that's, right. that's so I I'll give them that. But at the same yeah. time, like I wonder what what time it will be where they get sophisticated enough that like they know people think they're lip syncing, so they're like they're like sitting there with the auto tune, like fucking it up. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that was what the rappers were doing. So anyway. Um, I, I have some notes. Uh, so why don't we start? Why don't we start with the? Why don't I throw you a low ball? A low, low. Um, You're trying to make me feel bad. So as we already have taken apart the acoustic get the I inhaler. saw Henning Paul posted a um, uh, his video on the acoustic sonic, um, where he just he said the same thing. He said, "I don't even need to play it. Um, it's two thousand dollars." And I saw. And he said the same thing we did. Saw Anderson's video. I'm not impressed enough to pay two thousand dollars for that thing. You couldn't. You couldn't give it to me for two thousand. You know. And what he said was the same thing as we did. Mexican version for under under six hundred, maybe, but definitely not two thousand. He also made a couple points out um, that uh, Fender has walked backwards. He said, uh, you know, this year I, I guess they've got the new Fender. Um, uh, Mustang LT versus the GT. Now I don't know if that's out yet or if it's, but they do have like a little one, like the old 10 watt or 20 watt amps that they had for a while. And um, those are there. He said, I hope he hasn't had to play, had a chance to play one yet, but he said, I hope that uh, they um, are going to come and, you know, uh, a step forward because from the GT, which was a good amp at the price rank or price point, they really stepped back. Or I mean, I'm sorry. The Mustangs were really good, and then they made a step back. The GTS, which I, I agree with them there. And and then lastly, he said couldn't touch. And I saw this, and I was like, I, I can't believe, um, I can't believe this either. So they had a bunch of their custom shop stuff that they had sold to dealers. Obviously, they sell them to dealers, right? Then the dealer is going to sell them. So he go, and they were red roped. And he said this to the Fender rep. He goes, "You have a red rope around these," and. And the Fender rep was like, yeah, yeah. And, and he says, uh, but um, Gibson let me touch everything. He yeah. said, yeah, but these are sold to the dealers already. We yeah, don't want but, to but, but like, that, then that's the thing. Like, Fender should have never brought guitars that were sold. The name. Well, what the fuck is the point of that? Well, they, I guess they have a Wednesday. See, that's the thing. Remember, we were talking about NAM and how they should start making things up. I guess Fender had a Wednesday thing. Where they let the district, the the sellers, the, the you know, buy stuff. 
So now there's a whole wall. It wasn't just some of them. It wasn't well, just like, okay, here's eight or 10. It was every single custom shop. So, so the rule Sorry. on that, so the rule on that is they cannot take the guitars. No, not to individuals. They even to, even to, uh, to distributors. That's They're right. Not, they, can, so they have to be right. right. They have to be shipped, but you should never put them on display. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, you know that a lot of those kind of deals that go down at, at NAM are like the store owner being like, yeah, I'm buying this for my store. Wink, wink, you know, yeah. ends up in their private collection. Cause well, bills are like, put like ostentatious. Yeah. Somebody would have put like 110. I, I, I'm willing to bet you there was close to hundred guitars on that shelf yeah, I mean, yeah. on, the, on that wall. It was a big wall of guitars and every one of them was sold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wait, so I'm not going to get mad at them for doing that. If they're, if they're bringing guitars that aren't pre-sold, see, they're bringing pre-sold guitars. Cause I know that's what, what Carvin Kiesel does. They bring yeah. a lot of pre-solds, which well, I'm, I, I just kind of shake my head and I'm like, so you're bringing a customer's guitar. And if it gets fucked up, then you have to, you have to build them. Another build one. That means, you know, like you, you stop and you think about that for a minute. And you're like, you're a dick. You shouldn't do that. I mean, well, yeah, I got a okay. showroom. Grab the shit out of the showroom. Exactly. That's what I. That's what I was saying. And Fender's right there. It's not like, it's not like they got to drive a long ways to go get some guitars. Yeah, from the custom shop. Come well, on. I think I think part of the reason why Carvin Kiesel wants to do it that way is to prove like these are actually guitars we built for customers, and this is what they look like. We're not we're not trumping things up to make things look better. You know, right. Um, and, and that I kind of, I kind of understand, but then there's gotta be some insurance risk on their side and they should be contacting these people before they go and say, Hey, would you like your guitar featured? Damn. Well, I, I understand it. And, and this was headings. This was headings thing. So he said, and I get it. He said, yeah, if it had been bought by the end consumer, this was his point. If it had been paid for by the end consumer and it was, it was already to the last person was going to own it. He gets it. But every one of those guitars was going to wind up in a dealership somewhere. Yeah. And so, I mean, and so to say, oh, well, these were already spoken for and then say, oh, well, you can't touch them. Well, what, what am I supposed to do when I get to the dealer? I can't touch them there either. And that was his thing. He goes, he goes these guys need to realize that, that the person that's paying for them are, and then he points to the camera. He's like, it's you. You're the one buying these guitars. Yeah. You're the one that it's the end. And you want to hear and see and get them. And instead, I've got to stand three feet behind a curt or uh, behind a rope. I think Fender is embracing the new the new sales model, which is that you know we're not going to be putting guitars in retailers' hands to get your hands on them. They're right. they have they have doubled down on selling guitars online. That is that yeah. is their mission now, and yeah. they're going to continue to do it. And so this is basically, I mean, I don't think this is necessarily completely related to that, but the whole idea that like. They're kind of embracing the fact that, you know, you may not get to touch that $3,000 guitar before you buy it. Yeah. That's ridiculous so, in my mind, but. I, yeah, I think it is. I think that, I think there are those that you still have to go to that are people like me. You, you, you know, the people that have got $3,000 in their pocket to pay, spend on a guitar, typically, typically people that have had a little time under their belts, they have some money in their pockets they're the ones that are going to go out and spend three grand. Yeah, or they're, or they're a pro, pro of some sort and they know that's what they need. And so they're right. just saying like, I'll, I'll pay it. But that's the thing. Like, if you, even if you're that guy that's got the $3,500 to go buy a Les Paul, you know, I, I, I still think if you got $3,500, what's the extra 200 bucks to make sure you go to a dealer that has the one you're looking at? Right. And finding it. Because even if you have to drive, you know, 200 miles to get there. Um, I And that's why like Sweetwater, I think, for the Midwest at least is, is an, 
an excellent way to do that because you can see the guitar online. So you know what it's going to look like when you get there. And then you can go yeah. there and you can actually have them bring that guitar out to you and try it. And if you're looking for a five or $6,000 guitar, like that's the way to go about doing it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, it isn't unheard of for people to fly to the guitar. Yeah. I hear a lot of people like, Oh, well, um, and, and this one, this one's come up recently. I think even on the show where like, um, they trust the dealer and they're like, Oh, well I trust this person. So I just call them up and get their opinion. And then that's how I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. Right. And I'm like, you trust them that much? Like $3,000 and they know your personal preferences that well. Exactly. I, obviously there are guitar brokers out there. There are guys that track yes. down and do that stuff, but you're not going to use a $3,500 guitar. It's, it's no, no. That, those brokers are out there finding the really high end guitar. Yeah. 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 Um, it just, I don't know. I, I I had to agree with him on a lot of the points that he made. Um, and well, I, think, I think his criticisms of the line are spot on, but yeah. I just, I don't think, I mean, like, I just don't, I, I could give two shits whether people get their hands on the guitars at NAMM or not. Like, honestly, for the custom yeah. shop stuff. I mean, the production level stuff, the stuff that's actually going to be stocked in stores that everybody's going to be buying, like, absolutely. But let's face it, of, of Fender's guitars, Jim, 95% of them are not custom shop instruments. You're absolutely right. But it, those custom shop guitars are also the ones that you've, that are being bought by, I mean, the, the end consumer. I mean, any of the ones that are considered relic are, you know, are custom shop. No, I'm, I bet. But then, it, then it's up to the shop to put it in your hands and to get you to buy it. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, I get like the, the vendor proposition there. And you know what? They may have had pushback from their, from their vendors or from the, you know, the, the their dealers being like, you know, I don't want people touching my shit. It can go to my store and then I can control that. Like, and I don't it, trust you to allow, you know, people to take care of these instruments when they're on the NAM show floor. Yeah. And the last point he made, which I didn't know because I didn't own it or even look at, I didn't even consider the last line of fender pedals, but I guess the new line of fender pedals is out. That's some more like, yeah, like, like that was news. And, um, but the thing that was interesting, and again, he said, this is a step backwards is that because the, the last line of fender pedals were underwhelming at best. And um, to, to most people. And it was, so uh, they had something in the market space. I think so. And anyway, these new ones, uh, they took away the battery uh, thing. So they used to have a little battery thing. We could just, you know, flip the battery out. Now you got to take the back off to get to the battery. And, it, and he was like, wait a minute. They, they had something good going here, at least. At least it was one positive in the, fe- you know, in the fender pedal line. Yeah. And he went to say and see how easy it is. And then he looked and he went right on camera. He goes, oh, no, they took them away. You know what? You know how he is. He, he yeah. didn't say, oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh shit! Oh fuck! <laughs> yeah. So hey, hey, I, I want to. I, I do want to point something out because that's a good point. Like, that's the one thing that irritates the piss out of me about guitar pedals is that there are still guys, and I know Hammond enclosures and stuff like the typical pedal enclosures are readily available, and for small builders, like that's their only option in a lot of cases. Right. But can't somebody come up with a better system than having to have a fucking screwdriver? Every time you need to change a goddamn battery. Yeah. Every time it's a Phillips head screwdriver and, and five to 10 minutes of your time. And, and I have a couple of pedals. I'm not going to say what they are, but, but they're big enough to fit a battery in them and they don't have a battery. Yeah. That's the other one. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I, I get it. You know, you're going to save like a quarter on not putting that, that wire in there. 
I just, it, it's mind boggling to me. And you've got to wonder if that's why Fender did that because they're saving 15, 20 cents on the, on the thing. I, I, oh, I'm sure it's absolutely, their, it's absolutely over that and probably form factor as well. And, and uh, you know, maybe some of the circuits like didn't jive well because the boards had to be bigger or whatever, but that again, then they should have thought out a better design to do that because look who they're competing with, right? So Fender's competing with in the pedal market space, Boss, yep. one of the big companies. At that at that price point, Boss, Boss, and, and Ibanez to an Ibanez. extent. Yep. Um, and all of these companies have like a battery system that works better. Yeah, Boss yep. does, and, and Ibanez does. I mean, well, Boss definitely has. Well, Ibanez, I don't know if they do anymore. They did. Yeah, they um, did have that little flip. Um, so speaking to that and kind of in that range or in that thing, um, a lot of, of companies have gone from Korea to Indonesia. Now, I'm not sure if that's got to do with the, uh, the tariffs and the laws or if it's, or it's because, if it's, you know, it's because they're changing contracts with who they were building their guitars with before yeah. and they're going to court in Indonesia because the court Indonesia factory is better quality than what they're getting out of the, the, uh, the older Korean facilities. We got to get Pat on here to talk about that stuff because he knows all about that shit. So one of the things that uh, some people are ticked about that, and I'm like, I, I, I don't understand why. Uh, it, and if you like a guitar, then you buy it. It doesn't matter if it says yeah, Korea right, or right. Well, we've Indonesia. talked about this on the show. Who cares about the country of origin anymore? I mean, honestly, yeah. it doesn't really matter all that much. No. And and actually, in the case of going from Korea to Indonesia, I mean, a lot of companies actually saw quality increase from doing that because right. the Korean facilities that were top of the line 10 years ago are no longer top of the line. Right. And when they were putting the infrastructure together, they saw the end of Korean manufacturing being like premium guitar manufacturing at a reasonable price. So they yeah. started putting their resources into Indonesia and China. Right. So, and, and they don't just, those who think that it, it's an easy move, they don't just do that. There are things, well, depending on the manufacturer, there are things that they make sure of, so that their quality and their build process and their procedures and everything else. Laser telemetry and all that shit to measure fingerboards and, you yeah. know, all the craziness that, that can, you can do to eliminate human error. Because that is the one thing you got to remember. So the Indonesians no, aren't necessarily like super experienced building guitars the way that the Koreans were because they've been doing it for the last like 15, 20 years. And so right. when they moved to Indonesia, like they have to make up for that with technology. But yep. the, the manufacturing technology for this stuff is increasing so rapidly that, I mean, I, honestly, we're going to be buying Chinese guitars that are going to be freaking fantastic very, yep. very shortly. Yep. And, it's, and there's going to be almost no human hands involved in the production of them. I mean, that's yep. even now, uh, your bodies are still somewhat shaped by hand and stuff, even in some of these factories. You can see it. Um, PRS is, is good for that. Like on the SE line, you can tell that, that no, no two tops in the SE line I'm not talking about visually, but I'm talking about the actual like carve and right. the way that it's set against it. They're actually the same. Yeah, I have, I've had several. In fact, um, of the same color. We were looking at three different, um, three different SE custom twenty fours, and they all had a di slightly different carve. Yep. It was it was actually kind of interesting because we were like, oh, I didn't know they did that. I was like, yeah, no, apparently they like carve them the same way that they do normally in some case, and and right. the way that they sand them down is different. So. Yep. I thought that was all done via CNC. Apparently it's not. No, no. I think the only thing that's done CNC still is, is, you know, obviously your rough cut and your, yeah, um, I was just going to say uh, they're doing the rough cut CNC. Yep. Uh, finer stuff is not. So, so I, I thought that was interesting. So let's get away from the gear now and let's yeah. start talking about, um, uh, music. So, um, 
Do you want the really hard ball or the kind of hard ball? Let's go with the I'm, kind. I'm ready to start yelling, so just get it over with. All right, so Robert Baker was at it again. Now, I don't want to pick on poor Robert Baker. Again, anybody who thinks that Robert, like I'm If Robert would like to come on the show I, and talk about his affiliation with the Tone King, I'd be more than welcome to have that conversation. Yeah, me too. I'd love I to. I want to know why he played on that guy's <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, right. his song, quote unquote. Because he got paid. Oh, he must but, have yeah. gotten paid. I, I don't know. Because Robert Baker seems like a nice guy. He really he does. does. I'm sure he was like, yeah, I'll do it for you. It's cool. And again, Robert Robert prefaces all of his videos like with like, you know, you do what you do, you do you, and and it's cool. And and again, we agree with that. Well, I, I think I can speak for both of us when we say we can agree with that. But again, he he put out with one of these videos, and I think it's because people like to see for some reason these videos about what not to do. And again, he went with another one of these what not to do, basic theory that beginners should avoid. Okay. And the first thing he's he's like, anything other than than uh, bar chord, or I mean anything other than open chords, the old cowboy chords. He's like, anything other than those, beginners should avoid. And um uh, cowboy chords only. And let me go through it because it's really quick, because well, there's only four. I, I so I guess I guess the tone king is a beginner then. Yeah, well, keep going. <laughs> um, learn only uh, pentatonics, so don't don't bother learning modes. Hold on, it gets it gets better. Don't learn to read sheet music. I, I that's that's a debatable one. We can we'll run back back to these and don't give it get intimidated. I actually liked this one. Don't get intimidated by other people who use the lingo. Like when somebody says, oh, I see you're playing that, an F-sharp minor 11 that, there. Yeah, and you're that like, part boggles my mind, too. Yeah. And, and it still bothers me. And I know a lot of theory like that still bothers me to hear people say stuff like that. Yeah, and I can understand that. With that one, actually, I was, I was 100% agree with, with that one. So I'm going to talk about – so theory for beginners, cowboy chords only. I, I don't think I, I think you're leaving out too much. You're, you're already cowboy not- chords are the most useless fucking thing on the earth. You well, use them for like six months when you start playing guitar, and then as soon as you can learn to move chords around, you're like, I don't need this anymore. Exactly. Your fingerings are totally different too, because exactly. like, even if you're going to use like like the C chord, I don't know what position that would be, they would consider that, but like if you were to move that around the neck, like you're you're going to add a bar, and all of your fingering changes. So yeah. it's just oh God, man, like. Why are people giving advice that, about things that it clearly knows nothing about? Well, and, again, I, here's the problem with anyone who considers themselves a beginner. If you consider yourself a beginner and you've been playing for like eight months, you're not a beginner. No, you're, you're not. Unless you literally have only picked that guitar up once in that know, eight months. every two weeks or something. If you're playing a half hour a night for eight months, you're, yeah. you're going to be able to tackle some stuff. like. And you're going to know more than bar chords or you're going to know more than your normal bar chords for sure. Yeah. And I think that, that um, I think that by, by saying I'll only worry about cowboy chords limits the person. And by setting limits, and I'm going to say this, I, I always believe, and I, and, and a lot of people could argue with me about this. one. If you set your sights low, that's where you're going to be. If you set your goals to, I want to learn my cowboy chords. Yeah. Okay, in three weeks, I can teach you all your cowboy chords. Matter of fact, in one lesson, I can teach you all your cowboy yeah, chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I've done that for people before. Yep. Um, and that's why I, I, I completely look at that the wrong way. And I go, actually, no. I mean, I, the first thing I would teach anybody on guitar is a power chord. 
literally the first thing I would teach you. Yeah. You want to learn a, you know, you, you here, root fifth, you know, interval like that. That's, that, right. that's the basis of probably 80% of what you're going to end up playing at some point in your life anyway. So let's start with that. Then we'll talk yep. about a couple of cowboy chords, but I tend to, I tend to go for the ones like E major, E yep. minor, you know, yep. and then like A major, A minor, because those are bar chords. You can use those in the same way. And then, then the next thing I show you is, okay, so now that you know that you can move these power chords around and make different notes and you can do this, now you can play bar chords right. and you can do major or minor where, wherever you want. So you right. don't need to know necessarily like and all you can little intricate you, voicings and stuff. You can figure you that can, out later. You can also break out of the box of thinking that you have to always play all six strings or five of the six Yeah, strings. and that's you the other thing. Is like the last... Oh, the last thing you want to do is give a guitar, uh, give a beginning a guitar player, and tell them, "Hey, skip that, skip that A string when you're when you're uh, strumming your D chord." Right. Like what? What? Because <laughs> because they're like you're like you mean you mean like I have to do this complicated fingering and I gotta I gotta strum only these four strings. Yeah, like, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like no, don't no. What am I? Um, exactly. I, I, so I had um, uh, where I went to the Super Bowl party. Uh, one of my um, students from last year uh, was there, and, and um, so he's kind of moved on and taking different uh, stuff. He's kind of gone to self learning, which is fine. And he wanted to show me some that. of the stuff he learned, and he showed me that riff, that um, Blackbird, you know, yeah. riff that everybody knows. And I said, do you know how that works? And, and uh, he said, no. And I said, well, I taught you your G major scale. So show me the G major scale. And then we're going to talk about why Blackbird works. And so then we played it with the exception of a couple of notes in there. Played a couple yeah, of times. It's a couple of accidentals. It's G, right. A couple of accidentals. That is a G major scale. And so he goes, oh my gosh. And I said, yeah, play only the ones you're playing on the low string. Now show me the ones you're playing on the high string. Look, you just played that. And then I said, okay, when you're there, what is this chord? And then, and then so yeah. it was like light bulb moment. And then I go, and then I took him up to his piano and I said, say, here is this, here's the same song on the piano. Yeah. And then he goes, oh my God, I can play it on a piano and I can play it on a guitar. And it, and it was just like, literally like that. It was seconds to be able to, to take those two and put them together. The problem with when you learn stuff on online, nine times out of 10, I'm not saying that every online instructor is like this. They go, sixth um, or a D string, sixth fret. Now D string, eighth fret. What did you learn from that? You learned, you learned one string in two spots, but you, what you didn't learn was where they fit the song, where they fit the chord you're playing over. And last but not least, you don't even know what the fucking notes are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, so I guess we can, I guess we can kind of back up and, and, you know, kind of talk about what, what you should learn as a beginner when you start. Cause I've already kind of started to do that, but right. I think what you're hitting on is exactly that. Like this, there are basic theory things and you can, and, and, and I think theory is a lot easier to grasp the more abstract you get about it. So if right. you were to step back and you were to say, okay, so we're going to talk about song structure, which is, you know, part of partially a theory thing, like right. beginners don't necessarily understand how all that works. Like they may not no. necessarily know that a chorus and a verse you know, are like, and, and, and about repetition and bridges and like how most music is structured. And, um, even just sit and talk about, okay, so we're going to talk about some chords and right. talking about the various approaches that you can take using chords to, to structure a melody where right. either, you know, the chords support the melody, the chords are the melody or the, or 
Um, in the case of like lead lines, like, and this is the one I was thinking about specifically for what you're saying is like, I can either, I can either play through the changes yep. or I can play, I can play the root of the scale against the change. Correct. And like, those are the things that, you know, those are very basic conversations that can happen that can set you up for a lifetime of how you learn the guitar. Well, and of I course, have a lot of those conversations. I'm, I'm nope. getting some of this stuff now. Yeah, so. I I will say that that there was a lot of uh, a lot of that when I was or when it was early on. There was a lot of that um, discussion of put your finger here, put your finger here, and now strum like this. Put your finger here, put your finger here, and now strum like this. Yeah, and it didn't come until way later. I was probably in my thirties. I think I've mentioned that before. But before a light bulb came on and said, "Wait a minute, that's a G chord too." And so, um, you know, what I wanted to get at is Blackbird is a is a prime example of um, how chords are used as melodies because mm-hmm. those are, those are chords. Yeah. That's a chord melody. That's a chordal melody. And the other thing um, that I think that when players only learn it, it, you know, obviously the first couple of weeks, I get it. You're a beginner. You're learning your cowboy chords. I get that. They're only good for a couple of weeks. Um, I mean, they're, they can be good for, you use whole, it for the rest right? of your life. You do use but, it for the rest of your life, but right. But you should not 90% of what you're playing. Right. But they shouldn't be the only thing you should. You should be out of that box very quickly. But what I'm what I'm going to get at is the first thing that somebody will ask me when they want to learn how to play the guitars. How do you solo over this? How do you know to to play this over this? Yeah. And I say, well, part of it is my ear. It's trained enough to know these are the notes that go because I can sing them. I can hum them. I can hear them in my head. Um, You can really blow their mind and go, well, how, how do you know that you want to play them? Yeah. Because uh, in all honesty, like who says that they have to be tonal? I right. mean, if you really want to get out there, you can play whatever the fuck you want against whatever the hell you want. Exactly. I was just going to get to that. And you can play a totally um, uh, look there. There are, you know, you can, you can look at Zappa stuff and all day long and see some of the, you know, the most atonal stuff I, I've ever heard that actually sounds good. But the point is that, um, so he, he tried to show me the solo to um, uh, more than a feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, you kind of got it. I, I said, I see you're trying to sort do of. it. Yeah. No, I said, I see you're kind of doing it note for note, trying to do it note for note. So let me show you an easier place to play it and an easier way to finger it. And after I showed him that, he was like, how do you know that? I said, I played the exact same notes you did. I just moved them up here and, and moved them to another string. It sounds thicker and it sounds, sounds bigger. Um, so those are things that, that we <laughs> learn as time goes on. Um, but you know, I almost thought, do you want me to come by for a few more lessons? You know, but I, I didn't throw that out there because obviously that, that sounds like somebody trying to pitch their product. And, you know, and that, that's not what I was there. Yeah. For. They're from Super Bowl party. So, and, um, you know, but my point is, if you're going to, if I was going to teach uh, a, a beginner within a month, there's two things they would know. They would know the, the, um, the notes of, of at least, um, you know, all 12 notes. And how to get get around them on the on the guitar, they would know their cowboy chords by then, and they would definitely know how to make power chords in in on all six pairs of strings or three well, pairs of strings. But the one thing that he he gave out that I really take issue with is like learning music thing, and I know I don't know how to read music properly on guitar, but but yeah. I look, everyone should expose themselves to it a little bit. Right. You may not it may not be for you, you know. But right. like, 
just knowing how to read rhythm notation is super useful. That's <laughs> believe it or not. I know a lot of people who can sight read that can read the notes and can't read the rhythm notation. Yeah, rhythm notation's hard because nobody likes to sit around and count. <laughs> yes, yes. They're like, okay, how do I? The next time you're like, you're you're counting on a Metallica song, and you're like, one and a two and a three and a four. Or you're trying to count a speed metal thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you can't even count that. Not not even in your head can you count that fast. No, you actually just try to break it down into the just, but yeah, you you're like, exactly. You're like triple, 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 triple. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're, not, you're just thinking about the first note. One, two, three, four. I remember the first time I was trying to play um, Steve Harris uh, riffs on a oh. on the bass. I said, okay, that's that's what that is. Yeah. Um, it's just the sound of somebody starting a lawnmower. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, there was a, I, I think that if you're going to look at, if you're going to, here's the thing. If you're never going to, if you, if you're never, and you can't say never, that's the problem. If you're never going to play off of sheet music, then sight reading is a useless skill. Yeah. But if you're eventually going to read sheet music at some point. Now, the the truth of the matter is I've never I, I'm sure it's going to happen because, uh, as I've said before, I have a goal that that goes beyond this. I, I and I've been working on my sheet reading for this very uh, my sight reading, I should say, for this very reason. I do I do ten minutes of sight reading. That is that, um, you know, I want to go to where I might wind up having to use it. But anyway, everything I've ever done, whether it was a hey Jim, I need you to sit sit in tonight, was always charts. It was always fake book charts. Was a was a melody line charted for me, um, on the on the yeah. But I don't need it. I know the key, and I can look at that and I can guess what those notes are. I don't really have to know them. Hey, you know that one. Well, a that's student. how sight reading works anyway. You usually only know the starting note, and then you just yeah. read along. I, mean, <laughs> I go from there. Yeah, I mean, the problem with guitar is that there's different positions, and so you don't necessarily know like. Okay, so I'm playing a low A, but like, do I play it on the open string and then play right, or do I play it or do I fret on the low E? And it really takes some planning because you have to look over the piece and go, do I go lower than that? You know, (laughs) do I I have to go down from there? Do I have where do I where do I shift? So I know a lot of people when they sight read, they'll look through a piece of music real quick and they go shift here, shift here, and they'll like mark it on the page. And yep. that's not really sight reading because you're because you're preparing. No. <laughs> yeah, and as a matter of fact, um, when you mentioned that, so the first the the guy who taught me to sight read, this was about well, probably fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago, when he was teaching me how to write a sight read. He, you know, first he showed me the staff, and I didn't get the, you know, I didn't get any of it. I, what's that flag for? You know, um, why are they? Am I supposed to salute there? Um, and you know when they put three three notes together, it was like, oh, that's a triplet. How do you it's triplet? How do you know that? Um, so there was all this stuff. And then when he um, when he was talking to me about that, I said, how do you know that that's where I want to play a B? And he goes, well, you need to be able to. Re-. He goes, he literally just said what you did. He goes, you need to read like several lines at a time because yeah. you will never know where to put your finger. You got to know where you're going to be. 10 lines for, or I mean, uh, 10, 15 notes from now, not what you're doing now, not even two or three notes from now. You need to know all the way down that page. Well, I think, I think the big challenge for a lot of beginners is sight reading, especially if you've never sight read for any other instrument. Look at the, when you look at the thing, you go, I need to know 
each individual dot on the page what note that is and you're like no you just need to know what the space between that and what you're normally playing is like that's (laughs) where you start where that is like you need to know your intervals and and your you know your relationships to the key and then that's that's pretty much it and Um, and i would i would call intervals relatively beginner stuff yeah no you figure that stuff out pretty quickly especially for sight reading as i said expose yourself to it like i obviously don't do it and and i feel like i i feel like i'm um misrepresenting uh what he's saying because i'm like i i kind of agree in the same regard like i don't do it but it's a useful skill and i don't think any beginner should be told if they want to learn to sight read don't do it right like that's no that's ridiculous like if you want to learn to sight read do it absolutely it's going to help you a lot absolutely but if somebody tells you that tablature is a crutch and is garbage they are full of crap well, tablature from the internet is a crutch and a garbage because it's well, mostly wrong. Because most of it's wrong. That's, that's, a, that's like saying that that most of the news from X, you know, source is wrong. You know, I was looking at a song the other day and I was looking at the tab for it, and it was somebody had done it. Somebody did a tab like ten years ago or whatever, and they posted it, and I was like, wait a minute, like it doesn't modulate. Like what the fuck? And I just I looked have- at the tab and I go. I go, he's got like different notes being played here than, than what's on the song, like totally different. And it's repeated over and over and over. It's like, do you even have fucking ears? I had like, one where it, it, it insisted that they were tuned to standard and they were playing a full, a full tone off from the, yeah. And it yeah. even said what version of the song. I was like, <laughs> no, did you have this in a, in a pitch sifting software? And you didn't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Um, so yeah, that's that's where the crutch doesn't help. But tablature itself, as tablature exists, existed long before the guitar. So you know, it 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 dates back into what the 1100s or the 1200s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think how we how we should wrap the discussion up and and just say you know if you're a beginner on guitar, figure out what you want to do and focus right. on those things. Get a teacher. Don't get some lunatic on the internet like him who's going to, who's got all these like, like, uh, countdown, you know, countdown videos, five things you shouldn't do, five things you should do, 10 things. Cause all they're trying to do is cash in on YouTube. They're trying to sell you, right. They're telling you to sell you two things. They're trying to sell you views and they're trying to sell you their product. Every one of them, I kind of, um, uh, Tim Pierce kind of ticked me off. He had this, he had this, um, clickbait thing. I clicked on it and it, and it was like that. It was five things that, so I'm like, oh, Tim Pierce, you know, that guy, he's, he's really good. So I click on it and then it goes, you know, it gives me like two of them. And then it says, uh, for the rest, go to Tim Pierce. Guitar. Robert Baker's the same uh, way. Uh, I, did, like, I signed up for his just to see, cause there was like one thing I wanted to see that he did. And then like, as I signed up for it, like I start getting emails. I'm like, oh fuck. Yep. Every 10 minutes, Robert Baker's. Yeah. I get like, I get like 10 emails a day from Dave Wallman. And and that kind of just uh, it, it's like I it's get that you're off. trying to sell me your stuff, but realize that you sending me emails all day long, and it's yet another last chance to get your your thing at twenty percent off. The best thing you can do. I wasn't fooled the first time. You're gonna not gonna fool me forty five more times. If you're a beginner guitar player and you're listening to this episode, first off, stop listening to this to this show because we we <laughs> no, I'm no. kidding. Absolutely no, listen to the show, but um. Get an actual honest to God instructor to give you six lessons. Right. Even if it's just for a couple of months. Not on Skype with a dude in the room if you can. They need to be able to see your hand position and and see what bad habits are starting to develop so they can nip them in the butt immediately. Right. And if you don't like an instructor, right, don't stay with that instructor. No, no, no. no, no. 
to another. If if you did this like a one on one thing, where you go into some dude's house and sign, that's a different thing. But if you're if you're signed up at at your local music store, then go up to them and say, "Look, this teacher, I'm not going to be able to get anything from him. So yeah, I need somebody else." The other thing I would encourage you to do is to actually have a conversation with your teacher about what right. it, what what your what, expectation is. What are your goals and what are you expecting to get out of it? Because I'll, I'll tell you, so um, uh, speaking of that, so Justin Guitar, you know, Justin Guitar is a yeah. great, great instructor, great guy, um, is teaching uh, uh, Cap Lee from Anderson's. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, Cap Lee did the best he could to tell Justin Guitar that, I, I can't get anything from your list. I'm not getting anything because Justin guitar has this whole online course. Yeah. And of course I think he's trying to use captain Lee as his guinea pig. Hey, look at how it can help a guy that's been playing for X number of years. And Lee was like, I don't get it. I, 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 I don't feel like I'm being helped. With this thing. And I kind of felt bad. Although Justin was very, very um, uh, gracious and, and uh, uh, you know, and that's exactly what he did. He said, I think what I failed you, where I failed you is trying to find out what your goals are because Lee is in the room with him. It used to be like once a week. Now it's like once every other week or one, and then it went to once a month because he was over. And, uh, but it, that was the big thing. I mean, if you don't sit down with your teacher and, and tell them what your goals are, tell this person what the goals are, then that person cannot respond to you and, and know where, where best to, to drive you. It might be, I'm not the right teacher for you. And I think, I think a lot of the time it has to do with the fact that like when it's, when a student comes in and wants to learn guitar, you know, the first, the first six lessons, and I, and I always say six lessons because that's the critical period, like getting formation of what you're going to do. Yep. Um, they don't necessarily know, what it is they want to do in a lot of cases. And I know I was guilty of this when I started to play guitar. Cause it's like, Oh, I wanted to play. I wanted to play all the new metal stuff that was on the radio. Right. And then like, after about three lessons, I realized I don't want to play this stuff. Like I want to play, like I want to play actual guitar. I saw my guitar teacher doing some stuff and I was like, that's what I want to do. Like right there. And, yep. and, and it immediately just like jumped out at me. And I think, I think when you do the cookie cutter lesson systems online, like your first eight lesson, you know, pack from whoever you buy them from. The problem is there's no, they don't tailor the material to you at all. No, it's and tailored so, to the, right. To the masses. And not everybody needs to learn the same shit to, or, or is going to be <laughs> good at the same things. It goes back to with our episode with Steve Stein. And I think that's a good way to cap this off. If you haven't heard the episode, of Steve Stein, go back and listen yep. because we were all very honest. And Steve said, you know, not everybody's going to be the guy that does a bunch of sweet picking and all the, the tapping and stuff, but he's going to be really good at this other thing. And, and that's how we should be doing this is saying, okay, you're going to be good at this. Let's focus on that. Right. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and the thing is you can see, I mean, there's probably, uh, if, if I said there was 500 of them, it might be too small of a number uh, lessons online about the cage system or, you know, a million lessons about pentatonics, um, usually minor. Yeah. And you'll see somebody, and this is the problem. So we go back to what I was saying earlier, um, where uh, somebody will go, okay, now I know my A minor pentatonic. Matter of fact, it was, uh, it was um, Captain Lee who, who was sitting there sitting with Justin guitar. And he goes, Oh, this is, this song is in a minor. Okay. So I'll use a minor pentatonic. No, you're going to use G. 
And then he was like, what? And then he did yeah. mind blown. Yeah. And, and honestly, I listened to, to Justin tell um, uh, Lee why. And I didn't get it either. I was like, I don't get yeah. it. Either. Yeah. I don't get, I, I, you're, you're really not explaining this well. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that, that uh, well, he's using, mo- he's, he's I, going modal with it, but you know, that's, that would have been the explanation. Exactly. Mode. Like, <clears throat> okay, then say that. No, and see, when, whenever you, you're not an A minor because you're using a fucking because mode. You're using, right. You're using G. Yeah, exactly. And then he was trying to explain that, that it was, uh, you know, um, you well, know, I thought I'd use E minor over G. And then he goes, no, you'd use this, you know. And, and, that, he, and that's, and there is another problem because you just pointed something out that's very critical. And that is, there are a lot of guitar teachers out there who don't necessarily know all the things they're teaching. Right. Because there are different ways to describe that same problem. And we just hit on one. If that's really what he was doing, then like, okay, then you you don't understand why it is that you're doing what you're doing. You really right. don't. Right. Because there's a well, much he, simpler explanation. Right. I mean, he tried to get to the mo- but the, the problem is he doesn't really want to talk modes yet. And I think that, that again, you get to this Robert Baker thing. You're stuck in. All right. I'm not going to talk you about can't hide it, though. That's that's what I that's what, exactly. get, what kills me. Like if you present a concept to a student and the student doesn't understand that concept, if you don't hide it from them, you say this is a concept that we haven't touched on yet, but I'll tell you what it is. Right. And then later on, we can we can discuss more about it. But you, but you need to understand why this is what it is. So, right. um, I, 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 it's like the same shit as when you're in school. You know, when you're when you're a kid, they teach you that you know, uh, the the people came over on the the Mayflower, you know, right. in the, it, w- when the Pilgrims came, and they they lived in harmony with the natives. Right. And then when you're in high school, they're like, well, not really. I mean, there were there were they were some fighting and some arguing. And then, and then you go to college, and then oh, there was bloody mass murder. Yeah, and then and like then you talk about killing. Custer and like all that stuff, and you're just like, you know, it, it, it's it's just like levels of complexity, and they come out of nowhere, and then they expect people to know this material, and they just won't. Right. So absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think that that's a I, I think that's a huge thing, and that's why I think that as soon as you get to a topic, you should talk that topic, and not not um, uh, pussyfoot around about it. Well, and, the, and, and, you know, and if, the, and if the student isn't asking about it, you don't have to discuss it. Don't discuss it. Exactly. exactly. Um, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a real quick game with you, Jim. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a guitar player's name, and I want you to say either good or bad, right? Okay. And, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure – I'm not going to tell you the answers, but Steve Vai. I, he's good. Uh, uh, David Gilmore. He's great. Okay. Um, so th- my, my point is those two players couldn't be at op- more opposite ends of the spectrum, but exactly. they're not doing the same things. Nope. And so to sit there and pretend like the path that, that Steve Vai used to get where he's <clears throat> at is the path that Dave Gilmore should have used to get where he's at is a completely ridiculous statement. Exactly. And, and I can say that St- David Gilmore had been asked many times, many, many um, times that I've heard, you know, read or heard um, interviews with him and that, and people were like, didn't you ever want to um, learn how to, or why didn't you learn how to shred? And he simply said that wasn't the style of music I wanted to play. Yeah, they was I mean, it wasn't interested in it. Like, and, that, and that's okay. Nobody's going to tell you that David Gilmore is not an accomplished guitar player. Exactly. He's more records than God. <laughs> Karen Carpenter didn't learn how to, you know, sing heavy metal, but yeah. that didn't make her a bad singer. And, but, but and, no, but we as but we as musicians, 
have this tendency to look at people and say, well, every guitar player should be able to play everything. No. And that's just it. You couldn't possibly. And I, and I want to liken this. I want to liken this to knowing any kind of information. There's no way you, if you were a, if you were an engine designer, that doesn't mean that you know how to design an engine that could get to the moon. No, that's but totally. You might, be, you might know about car motors, but you right. don't know shit about a rocket. <laughs> it's exactly what I was getting at. And so, just because you know some information about a thing, a a a, a piece of knowledge. If you're a, I can tell you right now, a brain surgeon is not the person you want do, working on your heart. No. He's not the person you want replacing your knee. I mean, they are such opposite ends of the spectrum. Someone who's studying cancer, you know, is not going to be able to, is not studying the common cold. There, it, it's, it's just, I, we're going, we're going really hard on this and I, and I want to yeah. stop for a second because I do want to point out, yes, there are fundamentals. And there's Correct. some of the things that Steve I does are the same fundamentals that you'd use as David Gilmore. Things like Absolutely. bending, sliding, uh, s- certain scales, <clears throat> like that. Those are all things that we all have to learn, and they are and, and they're fundamental to learning guitar. And those are the things you're going to learn in your first six lessons, or That's your right. first 12 lessons, or your first four lessons, depending on how fast you press and how much you practice. Right. So, except that there are some basics you'll need to know. Right. But just also understand that, like, you have you can't tailor a plan, no, because once you get a style of music and everything like that, that's uh, that's the reason that the Hal Leonard method existed. So if you look at the Hal Leonard method, and I think there's three or five books of the Hal Leonard. Yeah, method. I think they're still they not. Too. Yeah, they are not expected to take you past your first year. No. And when I first started teaching the the student that I just you know got back together with um, this evening. I told him, I said, in a year, you don't need me. You don't need me. You need to move on because you need to then um, expose yourself to someone else and expose yourself to a new path. And, and it's going to be a path that's more um, honed in on what you, you want to do. And so that was what, and at that point I saw it, I said, I said to him, I said, next week is our last, our last time to meet because you have, you have learned what you need to learn from me. Now you go need to go on and learn more. And it's not up to me to keep trying to drill everything I've taught you. You know, it's up to you to to take those and build upon them. And 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 the, the other question I get from people who are beginners is, and I don't want to make this a beginner episode, so we're going to switch topics here, but. Right. The other question I get from beginners is how fast is it going to learn me to do X or take me to do X? And I, and my, my answer is, well, how many hours a day can you practice? Right. <laughs> you know, cause, cause that's what it is. I mean, it, it really, yeah. I, I was going to say there's two things to it and you hit the first one nail on the head. How many hours a day can you spend practicing? The second one is what is your, um, uh, what do they call it? Your, your ability to learn your, um, yeah, your aptitude for learning. Aptitude, thank you. What is your aptitude for learning? Because if you're learning, some people, I mean, when they look at an engine, they can picture it, take it apart and put back together the first time they do it. You know, you always hear about that one person. Yeah, and that's talent. You're talking about actual, honest-to-God talent. And, and, and it does, it is, it does and happen, it and it exists. is a factor. Because I've yeah. seen people who've played for four years practicing two hours a night who are terrible. Yep. And, and like, 
if I practice two hours a night for four years, I'd come in with new techniques. Like I'd be like, yeah. all right, you know, and it's not that I'm any better or worse than them. It's just because the way my brain operates right. and the way that my muscles develop is more suited to the guitar. Exactly. I mean, it's not exactly. that you shouldn't play. Obviously there are probably a lot of players out there um, who are not suited to the guitar who are still playing. There's nothing wrong with it. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's why um, I, you know, those would be the first two things that would come to mind. You hear it all the time. I, I see it in other um, uh, guitar uh, post groups where people are like, I've been playing for a year and I still can't shred. And you've told me nothing else. You've been playing for a year. Have you been playing every day? Have you been playing one hour, two hours, six hours? (laughs) Right. What have you been practicing? Because if you're playing blues, they're probably not going to be getting in that neighborhood. (laughs) And and I'm year means that that what they should do is practice shredding for a year. And I'm going to say this. You actually, you want to practice shredding. There's no question about that. You don't, you don't run fast by not learning to run fast. Now we've had this discussion before. No, no, no. I'm not talking about speed now. I'm not talking (laughs) about speed and slowing down. What I'm going to get at is, is you need to also be good at. I've seen a lot of people who can play a flurry of notes that it's like, good Lord, this is so hard. It's just, yeah, yeah. Because it's a mishmash of time and. Right, right. Um. And that's the other side of it. That's when people will say, slow down a little. They don't mean to slow down like to think, think, think. They just mean slow down a little bit, get your timing, then speed it back. Well, and that's the thing, like, that's another big component of why you should have an instructor begin with is because that's right. Rhythmic timing is everything. And nobody seems to understand that anymore. Um, I I have seen some of the sloppiest rhythm shit in the, and, and I'm being very, you know, I'm critical of myself too. Uh, I have seen a lot of people who just don't give a shit about being on time. That's right. And how the hell can you play an instrument without not caring about time? <laughs> That's yeah. kind of the point. And Music and is the, the organization of sound over time. <laughs> and if you're going to bend a note, please learn to bend the note tune. Yeah. Uh, All right. So let's go up. to the next. Let's go to the next topic because actually Jeff B does B's a bit. Biazgadecki. Biazgadecki. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say it. I, I literally thought he was. He's probably going to call me and be like, you're saying my name wrong, you jackass. I literally thought, because I thought, that, is that his real name? Yeah. Because I thought that he, he was trying, a lot of people use makeup, made up names on uh, like Jason The name. Yeah. Um, I thought it was Bees a Dick. I, I thought that's what he was, uh, that he was wow. trying to do. I, I'll, yeah. I'll make sure that he hears that. Oh yeah, yeah. You point that one out. I literally thought that's he's like, what he's like. Doing. Jim's a dick. I didn't know that was a real name. No, I'm a, I am a dick, but that's side of point. I'm a total jerk. Nobody should like me. Believe me, nobody should like. Nobody me. does, Jim. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm ahead of the power curve on that one. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but before I get to Jeff's thing that he posted on our um, on our group today i wanted to talk a little bit uh, and i'm gonna go through this stuff relatively quickly um because john bot asked about protecting yourself against legal issues when it comes to ascap bmi well actually there's more than ascap and bmi there's yeah. ascap bmi csac that's s-e-a s-e-a 
S-E-S-A-C. There's also PRO and there's three or four PROs, probably more coming. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what those are and how you protect yourself. You don't have to worry about it. Done. Okay. So the next thing, no, because, all right, you do have to worry about it if you are, um, believe it or not, panhandling. If you're out there uh, busking uh, on the street and you're playing covers, you should know that you can be stopped for that very reason. That doesn't mean some cop's going to come up probably and stop you for that. You might, you probably don't have a license. Yeah. I mean, I would think that almost no one has ever been, has ever been hit for that. But, um, and actually I know in like Chicago, we have, um, we have a busking license. Yep. And if you have the busking license, I believe the city is actually paying the, uh, the, the ASCAP BMI. Yep. And, and so, um, and that's that's typical. Um, a lot of cities uh, have busking. Uh, New York, I know in New York, if you want to busk in the um, uh, subway, you're, you're supposed to have a, a license of some kind for it. I just hate that I can't like I, I would busk in the suburbs out here. But like, I just hate that there's no place where you can go and check the law. And like, see if they're going to come bust you or like yell at you or. Well, that's uh, yeah. So I'm going to get to that um, during this. So. Uh, ASCAP. So some people might wonder, well, how much does these things cost? Well, honestly, ASCAP is three hundred sixty-five dollars a year. At least that was what it used to be. So it's a dollar a day. Um, BMI though is one hundred and sixty-six dollars and fifty cents per fifty people that can hear you. Mm-hmm. That can get pretty big. Um, CSAC is is relatively the same, and then there's PRO. All right, so. Uh, PRO is this new thing, um, this new licensing thing. I don't know if it's too much in the States, but it does cover the States. Performers Rights Organization. Right, Performers Rights Organization. This is getting bigger and bigger. What this does is this this covers everyone. We're talking actors, everybody. So let's say you go into a sports club or uh, any, any place that you go that has televisions on the walls. Uh, this would be Fridays, Ruby Tuesdays, uh, Tuesday. Uh, what's the other one? Um, I have television on my walls. Yeah. Well, no, you, that's a different thing. You don't charge people to be there. All right. So <clears throat> I go to Applebee's, right. And I see a tel- how many, te- how many televisions would you say you could see in any probably, given? T- probably 12. Okay. So now that's where the PRO comes from. I'm going to read this. Uh, and the PRO is it covers radio and television, um, Spotify, yeah, yeah, uh, DJs, Pandora, you name it. Not your jukebox. Your jukebox typically, unless um, uh, it's a weird thing, most of your new jukeboxes they pay their fee out of the money that you stick in them. Those electronic, yeah, yeah. So the new PRO is the one that covers it. Covers all those things. Um, it. If you have four more than four TVs in any room, uh, what's a room defi- I've, uh, defined by? Well, that's if you can see, and it's not closed. It's not a, it is a room. Um, uh, if there are, uh, if the audio is in the room in a room and has six or more loudspeakers, and any room that 
any place that has outside transmission or transmission beyond a single location. In other words, like if you have like Applebee's probably does this. I, I know um, yeah, most of the places that, like Chili's and places. Right. They have the same exact. You walk into a Chili's or an Applebee's at the same time of day. The same exact music is playing because it's on a loop. Yeah, because satellite loop thing. Yeah. And so they pay a fee to have that brought in. And that, that is covered too. So if, if let's say they're paying a, um, which most of them do, they play, uh, it used to be Muzak was one of the biggies. Um, I don't know if they're still around doing that. No, yeah, they absolutely are. Yeah. And so you would pay Muzak. Muzak would pipe your music in for you. They paid those fees for you. Um, <clears throat> so imagine if you're walking by a, a club at night and you can hear the music outside and, there, and it's because there's a speaker outside, not because somebody opened the door and closed the door. There's a speaker outside. They're supposed to pay a fee because that speaker is outside. <laughs> yeah, the PRO is basically based on, um, it, from what you're saying, it's based on the transmission of your media. Right. So And the, and the number of people that can hear it. Right. right. And so, yeah, the complicated format. I don't know how that's going to, how that's going to work long-term because it, 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 it seems like it would be based on capacity, not necessarily the number of people, because what are you going to eyeball it? I mean, I mean, honestly, like that would never hold up in court. That's why one of the things, the first things that you see when you walk into a place is occupancy. Well, that's You'll a fire see, code, but. And that's fire code too. That's right. And as soon as they say they can, they can have 150 people in there. That so that's how PRO have charges. So they're not, so PRO is not like. Oh, okay. Uh, there were thirty people at the venue that night. No, okay. You had you had four TVs in a room and six loudspeakers, so you owe this much money. Yeah, plus your capacity is this, so you owe this. Much. And right. your yeah, and your capacity. And BMI is all about capacity. They don't care about speakers. Yeah. ASCAP is just a flat fee. CSAC is a rat is a flat fee. Um, so BMI is is licensing music for like commercials and stuff, though, right? I mean, that's not yeah. They license that's not for like. Get for like performing. If you're if you're in a cover band, you're the, the, you the can, bars are supposed to be playing ASCAP. That's you can okay. Now that that's where it gets hairy. So some stuff is covered by BMI, some stuff is covered by ASCAP. And how and how do we know which the difference is? We don't. So they should be paying both. It the truth well, of the matter is, the minimum that a place should be. If you've got a pizza place and they're they've got live music in there, even if it's just a person sitting in a corner playing acoustic music, unless it's all original. They should have an ASCAP and a BMI license and, and they should have a set list yeah. of everything so, that anybody has played. So I, I do know um, BMI is, is, is like a library, right? And then that, yeah. that's a big part of what BMI is, is okay. So if you want to license, let's say you want to make a new swamp person TV show on yes. every channel or whatever, they still have those. And then you, and then you that's right. License music. You're going to go, the BMI, the BMI, whereas ASCAP is supposed to be um, for live publishing rights and yes. live performance type stuff. But it, right. I know there's some. It's like if you're if you basically the difference is if you're license if you're performing something that's through BMI, meaning something that's licensable as music for a TV series or something like that. Chances are, like if you're playing a TV theme song, then yeah, they need to pay BMI. I was about to say, so let's say that you break into Welcome Back, Cotter, um, or you sing wow, Grease. Really bad. Like, See, some of them, some of them, it's tough. Saturday yeah. Night Fever. Oh, wait. Definitely be. Uh, that. 
BMI, Night Fever's BMI. Oh, wait, but it's music. So it's ASCAP because it was on the radio. Which one is it? It's actually both. So yeah. uh, some of them are covered both. That's why it's the 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 best thing you're going to, it's just not that much money. Well, no. And normally for us as, as performers, like Jim, you and I don't have to pay ASCAP or BMI. No, no. And that, that was my point in the beginning. The only time you had to do it is you're holding your own festival. You know, that's right. That's absolutely right. And those festival places, they're paying those fees. They've, they've gone to their lawyers and stuff. So, um, you know, what is what is important is that you provide I, I, I made myself a note because you really should. It's very important that you provide a set list. Well, so my understanding was that BMI and ASCAP consider themselves PROs. Absolutely. They are two of and the there yeah. are like five different PROs. Yeah, I know there's CSAC and then there's um Yep, there's I think of the two, but yeah, yeah, I know who they are. I mean, yeah. so this whole idea of a PRO, and we were kind of you you were kind of talking about it like that was a separate thing. It's it's really not. ASCAP no, they have different types of PROs, but there's right. a new one. I think that is CSAC is the one that's, that's like, Oh, you got to have, uh, or the perform. It's a, it's a, it's a different, uh, there's different you've got types. dancing with the stars on the television up here, or you've got the voice on, or you've got American idol on or whatever. That's, that's yeah. that CSAC thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, basically the, the, the thing to keep in mind, and I, to answer John Bott's original question, really, just understand that these organizations exist. If you're not a member of one and you're publishing music, you should be a member of one of these organizations. Yes, absolutely. Um, you should be a member of ASCAP if you're publishing music. Right, right. And then they can actually they they provide services to assist you. That's um, right. I also know people who who um, record music specifically for BMI licensing. Yep. And they literally just it's all they do all day long, and then they hope yep. that their stuff gets picked up for some TV series or something. Yep. And, and yep. if you're good at it, then that might actually work out. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, uh, if you are a person that's writing music that you hope goes into a video game or you're hoping goes into, a te- like you said, a television show or a commercial. I mean, I know I know people personally now who <laughs> write music for commercials locally and nationally. And um, those, you know, come on, you've heard some of the terrible commercials on television that that uh, get get it because they're trying to be as original as possible because even if they're close to what sounds like a cover then they they walk the fine line and that's the thing like there's a whole subset of these people that are literally just trying to rip off other people's music and just enough away so you know what they're doing but not enough to get sued um yep in the style of so they don't want to be ed sheeran ripping off uh uh what's that song that he ripped off that got him in trouble now um Oh, I don't know. Was it he? I know he did something that sounded like somebody else. Yeah, it was, it, um, it was Marvin Gaye, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, not um, was it uh, sexual healing. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because the song when you listen to his, ver- I thought, wow, there's sexual healing, and then you play it back to back, and you're like, holy crap! Yeah. Oh, like, the first time I heard the Ed Sheeran one, I didn't even, I didn't even know who he was. I heard that. I went, wow, that guy sampled um, sexual healing. That's pretty cool. Sexual healing. And then I, and then it went back. And then, oh, oh, I, I wonder what that settlement looked like. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, Marvin Gaye's family went after him because they, yeah, yeah. I don't want that should yeah, be a whole talk about their family. That's a whole podcast. That, that should be a whole episode all by itself is family who like Michael Jackson's family, um, uh, Marvin uh, Gaye's family, Jimmy Hendrix's family. Yeah. <laughs> 
who had practically disowned him as a human being until he died. And oh, money. Well, his now dad, we're in. His dad, his dad had a lot of a lot of contact with him, and Jimmy was always trying to please his dad. I don't know what yep. their relationship was like, but but it but they got screwed out of everything. Yep. Like regardless of how much they helped him, how much they paid his way when he was younger and stuff, like they got nothing. <laughs> and, and yep. It took, it took uh, like thirty or forty years. Years. Rice was returned to the family. To the family. Yep. So it's Where's it's gone in family? opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And then there's the family that owned uh, uh, the rights to um, what is it? Uh, Happy birthday for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, well, still, yeah, well, I, think, no, I don't know if it went back in public. My domain. understanding is that that uh, they lost that. They, yeah, I think it was public domain now. Yeah. Um, so, but but um, yeah. So ASCAP, BMI, uh, and other CSAC. PROs, CSAC. Um, yeah, there's two other ones I can't remember, and I think they're European. So, I mean, for our European listeners, you want to look at what you've got out there as well. Well, um, it's just, it's different from, because you're going to find, like, if you just start doing your research and start reading up on these companies, you're going to find a lot of articles. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube, but you got to be careful because they, a lot of times they want to talk about you as the person who is licensing music, meaning putting right. music into them. Right. Versus you as the person who is performing somebody else's music and what you should know in order to protect yourself. But really, you are not responsible for most of that like no. that is that is the club's responsibility if you come into a place and they tell you um well you know if you're going to perform covers we need to know what they are and and that's that sh- i mean that should be the, the expectation like you should be able yep. to write a list of songs because yep. a lot of times they actually like to keep keep tally of what they perform that's right that way if ascap comes in and says hey you've had people in here what have they done they can show them a list of songs yeah. um and it's and that's why I'm not saying that this happens, but we have heard of I uh, know of one specific instance where a club was yeah. shut down because they were not paying ASCAP. Yep. So you got to be careful, and you got to be careful to make sure that your your set lists are legitimate. So that two hundred thousand know, dollar lawsuit that came out of nowhere from Atlantic Records. Yeah, and it and it happens. Um. So one final uh, thing to talk about. So Jeff um, posted in our our group. Not everyone here is remotely like this, but don't um, don't be a tool like this guy. Not um, not everyone can afford uh, Mesa Boogies or Marshalls or Freedmans or whatever. Uh, you might be doing the best you can with an affordable amp, or maybe he likes this amp. Tone is subjective. Gear snobbery is just getting out of hand. Nothing wrong with nice things, but let, looking down on others because they don't share your pigeons bullshit. And what he what he gave us was a screenshot from um, the Mesa Boogie fan club. Of course, the Mesa Boogie fan club is going to be a bunch of cork sniffers. Anyway, um, because, I mean, you and I both like Mesas, but we don't look down on people for playing something else. But still, anyway, um, we uh, went to a bar last night. This guy posted in the Mesa Boogie room. Went to a bar last night where they had a cover band playing. Dude was playing a PV, and I could tell his tone totally suffered. You know... I love the guy that sits that that is the dude that it, this dude Scott Gluckster Gluck, Scott Gluckstern we're talking about you um <laughs> totally totally um uh was just sitting there with his arm folded like I could have done it better he's the he's the joke yeah the and the player. funny thing is they're usually the ones that like when you put them on stage and they 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 play like shit 
Yeah, know? and then they're like, "Well, that that's not my normal guitar. I don't play out of this." I'm more worried about I'm more worried about my gear than my actual skills. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I just laugh because I'm like, you know, PV makes good stuff. I don't even today they make good stuff. Yeah. I just don't. I mean, like there are certain lines of theirs that I don't like. But I mean, I would go on stage with with a lot of the stuff that PV. Oh yeah. Um, classic series. I've I've gigged them. Um, what else? Uh. I mean, I like some of their solid state stuff. I don't like the Viper series. I do, yep. I do think the fifty-one, the sixty, sorry, the sixty-five hundred five and the yep. sixty-five hundred five plus are great metal amps. I got yep. the new Misha Mansour head coming out. Yep, uh, I, I think that the uh, what is it, the Blues something or other. Um, they have a they have one that's kind Delta, of the Delta Blues. Yeah, the Delta Blues. Thank you. Um, that's supposed to be like the Deville or whatever. It's um, just like a. It's, it's supposed to be a fender basement circuit. Yes. Yeah. Thing. And they even look like them. Yeah. Um. And and of course we've talked um, before about the the trans tube thing that they had. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, like, I don't know. I I think when people, I don't try to judge a band by its gear. There have been times where I'm like, oh, we're in for a run tonight. When I see guys carrying spiders, you know, I'm like, oh, here we go. And usually yep. that is, and usually that does pan out. But like I've also seen guys that come in with like the cheapest solid state piece of shit, put two pedals on the floor, and then just rock the place because they know what they're doing. I have a friend of mine who has played at Nam, um, and he came in one night uh, and was jamming at this club we were we were um, hosting an open mic. He shows up and he puts down. Um, this was to show to tell you how long ago. It was like a um, one of the earliest pod uh, yeah. boards before the HD five or before the HD five hundred. It was have been the Pod XT Live, the original. Yeah, the Pod XT Live. That's exactly what it was. Thank you. And he puts the Pod XT Live down, and he pulls out his his Mexican strat. It's got it's got tape holding one of the things. He's um, down one of the pickups down, or uh, oh, yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. missing from his uh, yeah. from his what do you call it cover. It's totally covered in cigarette smoke from from a hundred bars that he's never washed. The, the fingerboard looks like he did yeah. oil, yeah. You know? And his and he's got one of those um, uh, like a felt thing underneath the strings at the end because you know that, that there's yeah they're wobbling and yeah under the string here or the or the nut starting to come. I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be horrible. Oh good lord! And then he proceeded he to just plugs rip. in and he. Freaking kills! I thought Stevie Ray Vaughan was. He went reading it, reading it, and then he just goes into it and ripping it up and he's tearing it to pieces. Then he does um uh, uh what's the what Voodoo Child? Yeah, uh, slight return. And I was like, holy crap! Anybody who says you can't squeeze lemon out of that thing is full of it because he was just tearing it to pieces so sometimes you i mean and i i was talking to um ryan burke and 60 cycle hum in the in the group and he was talking about um there was a meme posted that it was like 2000 not or 2003 or whatever it was like the pod you know and then and they're like uh 2019 and it's like the camper on one side is like the same it was the same guy playing the same guitar but it, <laughs> and, then, and he was like he was like you can't even tell it's not tubes in both yeah. sides. And like, it, it totally makes sense because of course that's what's, you know, what's happened is what's transpired. But, um, I, I just laughed and I'm like, well, I, I, the comment that I, in, in discussion we kind of had was like, well, 
you know, the everybody poo-poos the pod and says tubes are better or like that tubes sound better or whatever. And I'm like, I, I kind of disagree. And no, I'm like, it just right. really depends on what you're doing and how you use it. And really, I mean, now that I'm now that I'm knee deep in the helix, and this gives me a chance to transition and talk about my shit for a minute. Um, now that I'm knee deep in the helix, I'm um I it's become very, very clear to me that I have much more reliance on tubes from the mindset than I do from the sound. Because I'm I I mean I'm basically exclusively playing the helix. I put together one really good patch and I have a couple of other ones that that I've been using. And I literally have not touched the programming on the damn thing in two weeks. Um, and it it has worked for pretty much everything I've thrown at it. It sounds decent. And I mean, yes, of course, I would rather have my Mark V next to me and whatever on stage. But this is convenient. And uh, let's face it, tube amps are not convenient. I mean, if you're going to play, if you're playing out and you're playing bar gigs, like who wants to drag a... 40 pound cabinet and a, and a 20 pound head. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and for me, I mean, the, the difference in tone is negligible. I know people are like, Oh, but it, it, it's not the same. Listen, I can tell there's a difference between the attack on the, on the helix and my, and my real Mark five. It's it, there's an immediacy to the attack that you get on the, on the real deal. But at the same time, it's like, can the audience tell and is it really, if I practice with it, am I going to be convincing enough to myself that like, I'll be okay? Absolutely. 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 Um, so that's, that's where, I, where I think, you know, people, and, and, and I hate, I hate, I'm, I know Brian may listen to the show and I, and if he does, then he can comment in the group about this, but I, I, I really strongly disagree with the idea that he, that he put forth, which was that um, two amps sound better, louder. Than, than modeling gear. And I think that that's totally subjective. I think it has a lot to do with how you tweak your patches. If you take the stock patches on any modeler and you turn them up to, to a gig levels, they're going to sound like ass. If they don't already sound like ass because they're totally unrealistic anyway. Um, versus, you know, going the other way, which is to like take a, a, a patch that you really dialed in very, very well for high volume and turn it back down. So right, we, we've never talked about loudness curves on the show. Nope. I don't think we've ever, and I think we we should cover it in the future. But I'm going to give you a brief overview. So the human ear distorts certain frequencies as things get turned up, which is why tube amps sound yep. great when they're turned up, but they're kind of flat when they're when they're low volume. Yep. Um, and it just has to do with a couple things. Number one is the speakers aren't pushed, and that's a big part of it. But the uh, but that's probably fifty percent of it. And the other fifty percent is just that your your ear perceives the frequencies differently at louder volumes. And so right. the problem with modeling amps is because they're always modeling the amp at full bore. You really have to do some fancy stuff with the EQ in order to make it so that at a, at a loud enough volume, it sounds proper. So yep. what I've done, and, and this is something that um, I know other people have done. I may have already mentioned on the show before is I, I created some EQ blocks in the helix that I can, that I can copy paste <sighs> each patch that allow me to, to simulate what it will be like at loud volumes. Right. I have simulated the frequency curve of the human ear. And what, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to talk to that for a second because I think that's a, an extremely important point. Because, um, when we get to, uh, 
when we get to the, when they create these patches that they, when they're shipping these things out, right? Let's say it's a line six spider. And I'm the not saying a line six. Show off with the thing. The, right. So the patches are, and this is admitted by any of, of the um, folks that build this thing. Let's say it's, um, you know, Frank Ritchie from line six. Yeah. He'll tell you that, that these patches are built to show off the, the thing and it's built to show off to the person that's going to buy it. And do you think yeah. that the person that bought it, if it's a line six spider, they bought it to crank it. <laughs> Chances no. are they probably didn't. And so their target, right. their target market for that determines what they're going to do with the power amp. Exactly. They're going to, they're going to market it. Now, does that person want to crank it? Yes. And that's where I think that companies, whether it's line six or uh, boss or whomever kind of fail the end consumer is they should say, you know what, as you crank it up, you might want to do these things to make it sound better because that is always the complaint. You hear it on Anderton's all the time. Right? Yeah, and that's the biggest <laughs> challenge of going to a direct end signal is that people suddenly realize, oh, shit, the same sound I use at my house doesn't sound good turned up because it's flat as hell at full volume. Yep. Or actually, that's not what happens. It actually gets exaggerated. Um, it, it becomes like a super scooped sound that you know you absolutely hate. Really, you want a flat sound. That's what you want because right. it'll, it'll actually sound proper when it's turned up. It won't be the same, but um, and I, 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 part of my experience with the Helix is that I, of course, make this cabinet block. I or actually found one. Somebody else had already done it for me, um, and I actually tweaked theirs because I was like, well, technically, you know, they use the the um, uh, ten band, and I was like, well, you can do it with parametric. Um, I think that I think that was a better option, um, yeah. but the reason why uh, I think it's funny is like Line Six knows this. They yeah. design their device to do this for you, right? As you are turning yes. up the volume to make that EQ curve change, because they've already modeled. That's the thing that that I don't get. They model everything else except for the what the master volume does for you all they really think all that I, I think that's where it gets left is that the, as the master volume changes and i'm talking about that volume that changes the overall volume of the speaker um unlike a master volume to the to other stuff it, it does there's other things that are involved anyway um when you're when you're turning that up they could model the effect of the master volume that would have been on a given uh Tube oh, they have that. No, actually, they do have that. <coughs> the, the Helix has that. You have oh, the Helix has you that. have gain. Some amps you have gain and and drive, right? Like the Mark IV model has gain and drive, and they have a master control, and then they have a channel volume. And, and in addition to that, and by the way, the master control on some of the amps, you turn the amps gain down to two, turn the master all the way up, and it sounds great. Uh, and the the what what I think is more important is if I tweak the patch at bedroom level, I want the patch to stay the same at when I plug into a PA and I'm running it full volume. Now, the reason why I think they can't do this, and I think I, I think it solved my own question, is because the Helix doesn't know what volume it's being played at. It doesn't have a microphone in it. It's not mm -hmm. it, now they could put a microphone in it uh, uh, that with dB sensitivity that would basically just read out, okay, it's 128 dB, change the EQ curve to this. 
because it's obviously so loud that kind of like kind of like those microphones you get where you could you could, yeah, you could plug it in right those sound testing things you're like oh what's the white noise the ambient noise of the room so that you can then you know balance yeah. your speaker system and that's another thing i don't like about the helix is that there's no fucking metering in it at all you can't tell how hot your signal is coming in or or how hot it is coming out so i have to use my my daw to actually uh, I use Logic and I put, you know, a metering plugin on it and I watch the meter to to balance my uh, my volumes and make sure that my boosts have a 3 dB booster or one and a half dB booster. Um, and then the other thing is uh, they, there's a there's an input pad and that and I'm I'm just discovering this. So uh, the input pad is a, is a 5.5 dB pad for loud pickups, but the thing is, it's honestly sounds fine with even passives so i'm like well how i'm just gonna leave this on then because i don't know why the dynamic range is so squashed a lot of the times but i hit that pad like everything seems to be a little bit more dynamic so obviously there's some there's some magic to this like i don't know exactly where their cutoff was for uh and i think part of it is they probably just designed it so that you know you're automatically going to hit the amp at this much volume like that's just they, they that was a parameter they had when they were designing it and they just selected this arbitrary number but the yep. reality is 5.5 db down is probably a little bit closer uh, so i i leave the pad on and i found that even my my fuzz face sounds are better my um the old marshall sounds are better they don't get as dirty as fast uh deluxe reverb sounds are better um it gave me a lot more flexibility in what i could dial in because i wasn't pushing the amp so hard to begin with Right. And, and and that's the thing. Like when I pick up a modeling amp, I want to be able to look at it and I want to say, Hey, these are the real world settings I would use on this piece of equipment and put them into the modeling amp and expect it to sound the same way. Maybe I'm crazy, but I have never had that experience. Never. Um, I think the helix with the pad is as close as I've ever come to being like, okay, this is how I would set the sample up for real. Right. Um, but I still feel like, there's still some things going on in there that are kind of trumped up. Um, and there's also, I've also noticed uh, that there's a site called Helix Help where they have some discussions about, I guess it's run by one of the guy, one of the designers, but they have, uh, they have some discussions about, you know, suggestions that you might want to look at for how you're, you know, using Helix. And some of the things they talk about in there is the pad, one of them. And then, um, uh, you know, certain amp models, like really they, they, they tweaked or they added a control or uh, they talk about, cause there's a bunch of extra parameters. So we're talking about it. Um, I guess I probably should just bring it up and, and uh, read through some of the parameters and some of the models. But if you've never had your hands on Helix, so it obviously I'm, I'm looking at the California lead, which is um, that's based on the, the base of Mark four. Um, yep. It has a lead gain, a lead drive. This is uh, that lead channel, by the way. Lead gain, lead drive, bass, mid treble, channel volume, presence, master, sag. Okay, so yeah. how, how much sag the amp has? Uh, ripple, bias, bias X. Some of Jeez. them also have. In this case, you have the five band EQ. Yeah. Um, if I go and I look at, uh, let's go look at the plexi, like uh, the plexi jump, right? Which is both channels of a hundred watt plexi. So you got bright drive, normal drive, bass, mid treble, channel volume, presence, master, sag, hum, which is uh, 
I, and, and again, this is why Helix Help exists because some of these characters or some of these uh, controls, I'm not sure exactly what they do. Uh, Sag, Hum, Ripple, Bias, and Bias X. I don't think that I, has them all. Either. I know what Sag is. I don't know what Ripple is. Uh, DC Ripple. Oh, and, okay. I know what Ripple is. Never mind. How the, the low end, you could make it more flabby. You could make it yep. more, uh, you could tighten it up using the Ripple control. Then Bias X is like the X factor of what happens when you turn the bias up. And, and it's, it, it's honestly like different for every amp, some certain characteristics about the amp change. So actually I found that a lot of the models, if you just turn hum, ripple and bias X all the way down to zero and then set the bias at a reasonable level, like five being normal bias, six, six and a half being like a hotter bias for most amps. Yep. Um, you can use that sag control to, to adjust the feel of the amp really significantly. Uh, and just being able to do that stuff and having that in a digital, in a digital package is great because this is stuff you can't do in a real amp. I mean, yeah. I can't, I can't, well, maybe if you have a good enough tech, but I mean, I can't take, I can't take a Mark four and go to my tech and be like, you know what? The bias in here is fine, but I'd really like to have a little bit more tube sag. And I, and I right. wish we could adjust the, the ripple, you know, the, right. the ripple. Hey, well, <laughs> the tech is going to look at you like, do you want me to redesign it? Like, yeah, exactly. I was going to say that there are people who redesign amps to do those. Oh, I know. I absolutely know they're out there. I mean, that's, that's the whole uh, uh, boutique amp market. I mean, is to say, oh, you know what? I love the way that fenders do this, fender basement do this, but I want it to be able to do that. Or just and, modify, just modifying amps. I mean, look, uh, who's the Friedman? He's yeah. made a career out of modifying amps. amps. And mm-hmm. like, that's essentially the same concept, which is that. Well, you don't like how it does this, so I can change these components and we can adjust this and this and that. That's basically what this. So line six just gave you fine control over the parameters. Yep. I think it would be cool if line six came out with a software, um, like more more an engineering side of software, not one that's really focused on sound quality so much as being able to lay out an amp, get a general idea of what that amp sounds like before you actually build it. Because right. I think that would be an interesting application of modeling technology especially the modeling technology they have, which is component modeling. Yep. Um, because for number one, I mean, if you, if you've ever gone through a, a build process or anything like that, you know, it's, it takes a long time to get it done anyway. And then number two is like, you're always kind of grasping at straws when you're, when you're dealing with a, a builder and you're like, no, I want a plexi, but I want it to want to have a little bit more grunt, like a JCM 800, maybe a little bit more gain. And, and, and you can translate those words to them, but they're not exactly, it's not the same thing as him like saying, okay, so you want this and this. And then he's like making notes in his head. And it's like, why well, can change these component values? He doesn't translate. That's what he's doing. Exactly. He, he doesn't speak engineer. You don't speak engineer, you know? Um, so for him, like or for, for the, for the builder, it becomes that this whole like trial and error process. And I know people who've, um, who've had amps built for them, like with very specific requirements, you know, basically built on a, on a platform that, that everybody already knows and loves. But then, going through those requirements and saying, well, I'd actually like to have this added and I'd have, you know, I want to have this changed. And then they get the amp and they're like, no, no, actually I'm going to have to send it back because it's not right. Like it's not exactly what I want. And they go through this, you know, this give and take for six or seven months in some cases, like you could build that in architect software in like 20 minutes and then get a general idea if it's, if it's in the same ballpark and then do it for real. Exactly. Um, I guess the only variables that you, that the line six probably doesn't, probably doesn't have like 
every model known to man is like transformers and a lot of amps like their big thing is their custom transformers um which is really funny because like i remember fender rivera and other companies like coding their custom transformers but they're all ordering them from schumacher electric so it's like yeah custom transformers but like they're all made by the same company so (laughs) what's custom about it you design the whole thing or you just tell them i need this many wines (laughs) exactly Uh, you know i i get a little bit um what's the word i want i'm less than uh uh what's the word i want impressed usually with um you know the fact that there's first of all the thing that that um that we know about each and every uh amplifier that's got tubes in it is it's a little bit different than the last amplifier that sure. you had sure it has the same name on it same model same make yeah go ahead yeah but 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 the the differences are so freaking minor like that they are and, and but but i get i get what you're saying and it's a bigger deal when you're getting into hand-wired circuits especially if you're going hand-wired high gain that meant right. hand wired. Now I mean turret board, not on a on a because you can hand wire a PCB too. Um, yep. But turret board or eyelet, um, you know, point to point, true like old school wiring. I've played a couple of high gain amps that are built that way, and they can have some really strange issues. Yep. Uh, because they're the I mean things vibrate differently when it's not board mounted, and even the boards can vibrate. And um, the guy that uh, John Brown, I think it's John Brown, James Brown, uh, yeah. the guy that designed the the sixty five hundred five, which is which is you know the one of the first production high gain amps was yeah. the one fifty when he designed it. Um, he said that we spent months laying out the board because we had so many tubes in that amp, and it was so loud and it was distorting in certain ways that they really had to be careful about like where this tube was in relation to the other one did not introduce more noise into the circuit. And like, when you start thinking about that level of complexity, I don't think, you know, when you go to a Dr. Z, I don't want to use him because he, because he is really knowledgeable, but like, if you go, and a lot of these guys are, but if you go to um like your, your buddy, Joe, who builds amps for people um, and he, and he's built a lot of Syria tone kits before, you know, for example, right. um, he doesn't necessarily know that you know, if you put your power tubes within three inches of the of these twelve uh, AX sevens running at this voltage, it's going to cause this this weird distortion to happen because the, the the tubes are vibrating in a certain way. Like he, he may not know that, and right, that's that's an engineering thing. Like that's totally an engineering thing. So, um, I I think there's merit to to like an engineer software like i'm suggesting but i think there's also like a certain level of variation that has to occur in the real world that you can't replace you can't model that i don't necessarily know that you know line six when they put together a model and they put their 12ax7 code next to another 12ax7 code with some filters in the middle which are basically the gaps and blisters right that, that their code knows like they don't they're not telling it your distance between this this uh, item and this item is this. Like I don't I don't know if it works that way, or if you can add like tail inductance or whatever from like where the board traces are on a you know on a, an amp or anything like that. I I just see that getting like really infinitesimal really fast. So that's probably why that technology doesn't exist. But yeah, I we get we, we again we've talked about this before, Jim. We as guitar players get 
really, really idiosyncratic and really, really anal about the like the silliest, stupid little things. The smallest thing. Um, no, no keyboard player on earth would be would be talking about like what what um, what cleaner he used on his keys. So that so that his fingers would slide properly while he was you know doing glissando like that's just never that that conversation would just never fucking happen because to them it's just a tool like we're the only ones that get to the point where it's like you got to have these cables and these strings and these picks and you know I got no horn players and sax players and stuff like that there or you know woodwind players worry about reeds but I mean um, that that worries about like super tiny detail. Uh, yeah. I was talking to my keyboard player uh, in the van and he said, uh, he was talking about, you know, the gear stuff. And I, and he goes, how can you get so anal about this stuff? And I said, he goes, I just play. <laughs> you know I, I was playing with a dude a while ago. Um, and I just got my Mark five 25 and we flipped it around and he looked and he goes, Those transformers are fucking huge. And I just like, Yes, I know trans big iron is supposed to be a big deal, but he was like looking at it and he was like, just he was like, get out about it. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not really sure that that even really matters all that much. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's kind of like we, we guitar players and, and I, and you know, everyone in this group and everyone that listens to this podcast probably knows somebody who's like this where they, they get, stuck on some little tiny fucking detail about something yep. it's like i won't you know it's unusable and you're like wait a minute like you're me you mean because you don't have a 12 at7 in pre in the preamp slot one you're gonna like flip out or um actually that's probably more that's probably bigger than the kind of detail i'm thinking of but like um back in the days when the kinks were you know like poking holes in their speakers or whatever the razor blade and whatever they used to, do to get those sounds like, yep you you mean you didn't cut that north south? You cut it east west? Like what? <laughs> like I how heard, dare I, you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> man. I think I told you the story that that uh, there was a time when I heard people say, "Oh man, you can't paint your can't paint your car guitar that color. You got to use this." Yeah, I, dude, dude. Where people are like people are like black guitars sound different. Like, are yeah. you on fucking drugs? <laughs> are you are you high right now? Are you on He's drugs? Not high right now. <laughs> I mean. I mean, holy shit. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's I, I've crazy. heard people say things like that. I heard, um, I heard somebody tell me one time, and I don't know if this is true or not. And even if it isn't, it's a great joke. And that is that Eric Johnson only plays guitars with black shirts on because black shirts make him sound better. And I, I honestly, with as idiosyncratic as that guy is, I would not be surprised if he didn't have that at some point. If he at least didn't think that, right. Like at some point in his career, he's like, I got it. It's got to be black or white. and Psychosomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like a ball player saying, oh, I went, you know, I went the wrong jockstrap. We are the ball players of. Yeah, we are. Of musicians. And we worry about tiny little infinitesimal details that to the audience are basically useless. Totally. Um, totally useless how many you know here's the thing to do this week walk up to somebody and and tell them what gauge strings you use yeah so, and be like what do you think what do you think of my new my yeah you know tell them tell them you know what i just do you think that i should get a schecter or um a uh 
helix or what or not helix uh, um uh teasel yeah oh, no i would say i would say schecter esp or something like that yeah schecter esp because i'm willing to bet or you charvel they don't even know what that is if it isn't fender or gibson i'm willing to bet you most of them don't know what that is no and it, the only reason they probably know what a fender or gibson is is because they've seen it in every tv show that has music i mean you know paul reed smith has been pushing that that's why you're seeing more of them on on television yeah. is to get them more and more where people i was in it this actually happened i i auditioned for another band and yeah. i got picked up right we'll talk more about that later but um not tonight yeah let that they were looking at my my, uh, my sleeve which is the yeah, paul the reed birds, smith birds. Yeah. and i had the paul reed smith in my hand I kid you not. And they're like, what are those? And they went, wow, those are cool seagulls. And I go, what? He he goes, on your arm, those are cool seagulls. I go, no, this is a a hawk. These are the same thing that are on that. And they kept saying, no, no, you got those for the the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, right? Because that's where I I live near the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. I'm like, no, look, I, I literally put, I had the guitar in my hand. I put the guitar up like this. And look, it's the same bird. Then they were like, oh, wow, that is the same. Oh, my God. <laughs> three, not just one person, three of them um, didn't recognize it, didn't see it. I'm like, holy shit, Paul, you need to make these things like, like, like um, the disco ball. So, um, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I've had this conversation before. We, we've had this conversation before. I'm sure we've had it on the show even. Um, I, I always, you know, say, oh, the fine details really don't matter all that much, but, but they do because at the end of the day, like if it's a head game for you, or if it's one of those things where like you really do, you know, feel something from it and, it, and it, right. an emotional connection or whatever, right. whatever it is, then like, it does matter. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, understand that what you're doing sometimes seems ridiculous. Right. And, to other people. Yeah. And even like in the, these, you know, these ant models in the helix, like the level of complexity they offer is often ridiculous. I honestly, I could sit here and I can play with the, um, I can play with the ripple control while I'm playing, like doing chugging or whatever with one hand and then play with the control. And I can't hear a difference sometimes. And I'm Which like, is- why is this even here? Why Which is, is why I know if if I can go from ten to zero and back and I don't hear a difference in it, why is it even here? Yeah, then, or the difference is so subtle that it's like I won't even care if it's on ten or zero. You know, like. <laughs> but then again, somewhere I don't care. Right. Um, there are times where where it literally is so infinitesimal that you're just like, this doesn't really matter all that much. What I want to say to people is, whatever matters to you should matter to you. And it's, and it's fine. It's great. And whatever gets you to play or gets you to create or, you know, whatever your goals are with the, with the instrument, that's fantastic. I think that's what we as musicians should strive for. It's the person, what we were talking about is this person being a dick, you know, just outright. Yeah. You suck because you don't have a Mesa. Yeah. Like, grow well, up, dude. Yeah, he didn't say you suck because you don't have a Mesa, but he was like... No, that's what he was implying. Right. Um, you know, again, I've I've met people with fantastic gear who suck. Do I suck, Jim? I do. do. You don't suck. You're not... You're not 
bad. Like if I'm not bad, then you're freaking awesome because I, I, I but I, you know, I have my issues. I have my issues. And, and as long as I'm my own worst enemy, or I shouldn't say my own worst, my own worst critic. I will always, always, well, you keep always. getting all the, you keep getting all these auditions and then getting the thing. So yeah. I would just shut your mouth and realize that you're not as bad as you're making yourself out to be. <laughs> Somebody must like it. Somebody uh, likes it. At least if, yeah. But if I didn't, if uh, I'm the kind of person, if I thought I was good enough, I wouldn't put any more effort into it. So well, I, the truth is, let this be a lesson oh, to you, Jim. Like if you're not a great guitar player, you must be a really damn good singer. So you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and since I didn't do any singing in this other band. Yeah, so that should tell you something right there. I'll tell you. Yeah. And, and you'll get, you know, it'll happen though. Somebody like Scott Gluckerson is going to say, yeah, but you weren't playing hard songs. You should play the stuff I play. The really hard stuff, man. I do play really hard stuff. No, I'm talking I about Scott sh- Gluckerson. I know, but I'm just like laughing because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, I play shit that like people think is, oh, I can play this. And then you listen to him play it and you're like, here. Try this with a metronome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should. Yeah. So for a future episode, guys, I'm I'm thinking that what I want to do is talk a little bit about that is the, is the, um, is the place that you sit as a musician in the thing. I think we talked about it before, but I don't know if we've really nailed that on the head is that to understand groove. Like we can do a whole episode where we talk about groove and mechanics. We can, we can even slide in some, some, uh, some uh, playing in the background. I'm finally getting to the point where I can actually hear what I'm playing in, you know, along with the song, I can hear where I'm at within the groove, which is something that I was always able to do it after I recorded it and listened back, but I wasn't ever able to do it in the moment very well. But now I'm getting to the point where it's like, Ooh, (laughs) but I'll tell you what I've been, uh, I, you you and I had this discussion offline, but I've been learning cultural personality and like to get the proper way. Right. uh, that's a song that, like, if you if you don't have that groove down, like it, it you won't. I mean, that the only is, other song I can think of this like that is um, a walk from Pantera. If you don't yeah. have that groove down, like it shows. So I that I can play it. I do not play it because I do not sound anything like the actual record. I'll tell you, I I salute you for recognizing the fact that if you don't have that groove down, I've heard people say, first thing that when um, somebody says, I want to learn some easy stuff, people always, ACDC, man, you should learn some ACDC. Yeah, fuck you. Okay. I'll, give you the, <laughs> I'll give you that there's probably never been an ACDC song with more five chords. Yeah, you could get all those five chords, but can you play them in time? Can you groove it? Let me tell you something, a band that is literally just an acid rock you know, band has they they are some groove in that. When I listened to um Back in Black, yep. my and, and I bought it when I was in college. And my mom heard me listen to it one time. She and she's not she's not versed in any sort of rock and roll really, like pop music and mostly country most of her most of her adult life. She just yep. completely missed out on things like ACDC. She she heard me listen to it. She goes, she goes, what so what when you listen to this, she asked me, what what are you listening for? And I said, do you hear the rhythm section? I said, the drummer and the bass player, there is no difference between those two guys. And nope. if you listen, like, they are completely solid. That's, probably, that's groove right there. Yep, probably one of the most so- rock-solid rhythm sections, you know, that comes out of that style of music. Yeah, and I'm not saying, like, look, obviously what they're, not play- what they're playing is not complex. No. 
But and then I give the fact. The fact remains that some of those bands, like Dream Theater and stuff, do all this super complex, complicated shit. When you hear them play something dumbed down like that, and they have there are covers out there, you can go listen. Yeah, they don't have like they're not in time the way that you think they would be. Like, no, not no. It does not sound like a band that swings like that. I remember the first time that I was, uh, uh, you know, Girls Got Rhythm is a song by uh, ACDC. Right. And um, it's it's got this this and that comes in there. Yeah. And I, I, I want to say it's like a. Um, it's halfway uh, to a triplet. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's almost a triplet, but it's not quite. And so if you if you ever listen to it. It's got that feel like, okay, we're going to hit it now. And then we're going to hit it now. And so it's not, it's not always like one, two, it's not four, four people are like, and you can hear the kick. It's like, and you're like, oh yeah, it's a four, four kick. So it's gotta be a four, four. And it's not, and everything is, it's a polyrhythm over a four, four, which I, you know, again, people are, um, when they go to play it, that is, so when when he goes to the part where he starts riding the sim, when he does the cymbal ride, and you hear the cymbal ride crash, ride crash, ride crash, you feel you realize like you were talking about the the kick and the and the bass are so locked in. You swear to God that that's one thing. Like the yeah. kick drum is literally hitting the string. It sounds like it's triggering the note, and yeah. part of that is they're gating the their yeah. their side chain gating it. But but like. No, but I mean, you hear them live, and they're so they're so spot yep. on compared to. Everybody. You know, the other band that does that um, really, really well is is Pink Floyd. Yeah, um, yeah. there's some stuff, and and actually, the Police were very good at it as well. Um, Murder by Numbers is the song that I think of, and I'm like, holy hell! And speaking you know? of um, uh, Pink Floyd, you've got Almond Brothers, Pink Floyd, and a few other bands that had. Uh, I want to say. Uh, 38 special that had two drummers. It was a big thing back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell you, something. you ever played live with two drummers? They <laughs> got to be in perfect sync. It, it is not like when you have a. You cannot a, take two drummers who are not good and put yeah. them on stage together and get something meaningful out of it. They have to have their shit together. They have to be dead on. It's not like having a, um, uh, you know, a conga and the. Yeah, because everyone's not saying play them if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that a conga isn't isn't difficult or something like that. I'm saying that that there is definitely a um, you know, uh, yeah, I've seen that mashup, the cut living color back and black. No, no, that's not a mashup. Oh, like, that's them doing it. Yeah, they do a cover. Oh, well, I'll have to watch that later. Yeah, um, you know, it, yeah, back in black's another perfect example of that. That's almost. I, I think that that just was their style of playing. You know, was that. <clears throat> that swing feel. And I think that's why people could dance to, to stuff like that, where you couldn't, which, which I think, you know, help their popularity. If you can dance to it, um, you know, it, uh, kiss was kind of that way. You know, they, they had a, a thing. A lot of people talk again, they'll throw kiss around. They'll go, Oh, the easy stuff. Kiss. Okay. I want to see your band do Detroit rock city. And it, it, suddenly you go, I'm not saying to see it, it's not um, that the chords aren't easy. The chords are dead. So well, we've talked about this before. And I, I, we, when you take something simple that removes all margin of error Yep. and, and you can't fuck it up. I was laughing because I was learning some Gojira turns last week and oh. their stuff is not, I mean, it's just like metal brutality stuff. But yep. when you look at, when you look at um, a tab for whatever, and they list it as like beginner, 
And then you're like, <laughs> beginner, my ass. Like, seriously? Because like every note is perfectly in time. That shit sounds so time aligned, but it's not. Um, their last record was done in like three days. So it's like, there's no way this is timeline. This is a band in a room. And you're just sitting there going, how in God's name do they think that, you know, that this is beginner level? Like you're, you're totally doing yourself. You might be able to, you might be able to play the triplets, but you're not actually playing the song properly, you know? Right. Right. So I take myself to Iron Maiden when I think about people who play complexity in perfect time. Yeah. I don't know. Even Iron Maiden, like when I listen to their records, like I can hear the hard left, hard right panning. And a lot of times I can hear like Dave Murray's a little off or something, but, yeah, but, but for the most part, the rest of the band's totally in sync. Um, actually, I think um, Steve Harris gets off quite, quite frequently too, but, but it's not, it's not bad for the music. Like he's doing it in a way that, that, you know, like a bass player will when they're going to kind of back off on, on the, uh, the kick. Or whatever. Um, Cause they, they control that. Yep. And that's what I think as a beginner guitar player, a lot of people don't realize is that, they control that groove. Like they can lay right. back and not play on it. When you hear somebody who's really good at that, go listen to uh, anything where Steve Vai is showing phrasing and yep. watch him do it because he's a master at it. And it, it, it just, it's, it's scary as hell to think like, Oh, he just played that note behind the beat. Like how did he know how to distance himself from the beat? So he's thinking like to the point where oh, I'm just going to be slightly off the beat or I'm going to be a lot off the beat or like, and, and right. start thinking about the subdivision. You're like, it's hard enough just to deal with standard note definitions, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And going back to Iron Maiden, you know, uh, Nico plays, uh, refuses to use a double kick. Yeah, I know. So a double kick pedal. So that guy is doing that with one foot. So, that, you know, anything after, what is that, peace of mind when he started yeah, yeah, drumming? Yeah. So you can tell, you can tell when he took over the drumming um, of it. And he is a very, uh, he comes from the uh, uh, Led Zeppelin style yeah. of, yeah, but I, there's a band that like I, I've never really been super fond of the drums for that band. I think it's because they just fit in the groove of the band real well. Like they're not, you're not the the drums aren't stand out. You know, like I listen to um, who's the band that I was thinking of? Uh, having a moment, and it's a popular band right now. Uh, Who? Mastodon. Oh, Mastodon. Uh, that drummer, who his name is offhand, but he he is a monster. And when you listen to, to that band, like that's the first thing that pops out. You use the damn drums. You're like, holy hell. Like, where did this guy come from? Um, and he's also a singer for half the damn songs too, which makes it even more screwed up. Um, granted, they're not as good live singing as they are on the records. Cause they obviously yeah. do multiple takes and stuff. When you consider every guy in that band sings at some point yep. show and like, they're all doing different things and music, super technical and all that. And you hear the, you hear the drums going and you're just like, you don't get that same feeling when you listen to Iron Maiden. Like the, the the drums aren't like popping out at you, like "Hey, let's take you by the throat," you know, show you how 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 much like complexity is here. But but they like said the devil's in the details. You right. know, playing single kick, and yeah. um, the other guy that was good for that was uh, Phil Collins, would play yeah. all that crazy progressive shit like Brand X and all that, and he was doing it with with fucking single yeah. kick. One kick, yeah. Yeah, you didn't start using double kick until like super late. But if you really, if you really want to see what Nico can do, listen to um, uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner when he yeah. when they're switching up their time signatures completely. And he, he goes from playing a light, really thing, and you know, I mean, I know that that he's not Neil Peart. No, 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 and that's not what that's 
No, I'm saying like he fits the song better. Neil yep. Neil Pert pops out like a sore thumb every time you hear him. You're like, oh yeah, all right. That's, that's Neil Pert. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> I saw, I saw an interview with Alex Lifeson. Before we go, I want to, I want to say this. I saw this interview with Alex Lifeson, and he was talking about Neil Pert, and and, and he was doing this thing called Rush, and it's um, behind the vinyl is this little thing that they yeah, got, yeah, yeah. and they're cool little short videos. So if you if you ever look at Tom Sawyer um, behind the vinyl, it's pretty cool. And he goes, you know, you can tell he didn't really want to do it. He's not. Um, yeah, Alex yeah. isn't really a big speaker he doesn't really like to do interviews at all frankly no yeah he's he's the second worst in the band for doing interviews neil yeah. being the first um who doesn't do any unless you know it's a drum interview and it's and it's anyway so uh he's talking about how neil he goes he goes yeah neil is playing this stuff like this you know he's such, he's so good and he's so he does so much in there he goes if i was the drummer i'd be all like this <laughs> and his hands are just moving slowly like yeah. this he goes and he goes, and he's so lazy. He goes, that's why I play guitar, because I'm so lazy. And then you see him go, I'm getting better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I believe every word of that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've given you more than enough episode for tonight. Yes. Uh, I don't think there's anything we haven't butchered and said something or destroyed. about or destroyed or um so <laughs> all things are what they are now. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we have been the Practical Guitarist.